The big debate, I guess, up today, what's the debate? Whether or not, you know, the birther issue again. This is insane. You think? Just a little. Well, I'm not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica with Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, the Green Renaissance Network, 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yep, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com, doing the best I can to try to keep my eyes on what matters, what is important, uh, no matter what happens. Let me say this in advance. No matter what happens on today's show, Desi Doyen will be here to bring us the latest Green News report one way or another by the end of it, right? Okay, so that's something we can hang our so, heads right? on. Right, <laughs> that, uh, that we can count on. Everything else, uh, I don't know. I really don't know. And, you know, you heard the Bernie Sanders quote at the top of the uh, at the top of the program there Bernie Sanders talking about the big issue of the day and of course you know I'm in the media so like everyone else I receive my um you know overlord uh, talking points every day from the invisible hand telling me what to discuss and you know like everyone in the media I try to follow the rules I try to do what I am told but sometimes Sometimes it's just so difficult. Sometimes, So do not take the bait. Don't fall for it. Don't take the bait. Listen to Admiral Akbar instead. It's a trap. Yes. Yes, it's a trap. Don't do it. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it a little bit here, but only uh, for a reason. Uh, so we'll, let's, let's start here. Mr. President, Donald Trump is now finally acknowledging the yes, that we're born in America. Any reaction? I, uh, I, Jonathan, have no reaction, and I'm shocked that uh, uh, a question like that would come up at a time when we got so many other things to do. Well, I'm not that shocked, actually. Uh, it, it's fairly typical. Uh, we got other business to attend to. Um, I was pretty confident about where I was born. Uh, I think most people were as well. Uh, and uh, my hope would be that uh, the presidential elect, uh, election reflects more serious issues than that. Does All right. Thank you very much. Yes. Appreciate it, everybody. He would hope. Keep hoping. <laughs> Keep hoping, Mr. President. 
Uh, at least it's good to know that he's confident where he was born, uh, even if Donald Trump isn't. Well, Donald Trump is. He knew it all along. But he, uh, you know, the media fell for his trap. They fell for his trap today. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's actually important to the bigger issue of what I want to cover in a second. So let me do this. Let me go to Daniel Dale of the Toronto Star. Washington bureau chief uh, for the Toronto Star, as he gives an example how the sort of thing that happened on Friday should be covered by the corporate mainstream media. Here's the headline in the Toronto Star of what happened this morning. Headline, Trump lies again, then finally admits Obama was born in America. In a brazen campaign stunt on Friday, Donald Trump promoted his new Washington hotel, touted his endorsements from military heroes, lied twice, and then quickly admitted an obvious fact he had disputed for five years, that President Barack Obama was born in the United States. His 10-word renunciation of birtherism provided no explanation or apology for his peddling of absurd and arguably racist conspiracy theories about the first black president. And he prefaced it with blatant lies about the saga, falsely claiming that opponent Hillary Clinton's 2008 campaign, quote, started the outlandish controversy and that he had, quote, finished it. The Republican presidential nominee made the one sentence acknowledgement, quote, President Barack Obama was born in the United States, period, after more than 20 minutes of speeches from national security figures. Then he said, now we all want to get back to making America strong and great again. Thank you. And he walked away. Reporters shouted questions at him. What took you so long? Why'd you change your mind? What do you have to say uh, to African-Americans? But Trump could not hear them over the applause from the six rows of supporters who had strategically stationed themselves or who had he, he had strategically stationed between himself and the press in the hotels for Chandelier presidential room. Then Trump uh, took the cameras on a tour of the hotel, leaving reporters behind the event initially billed as a news conference, left media outlets fuming, though Trump has been open about his contempt for both specific media outlets and the press as a whole. Perhaps never before has he designed an entire event to deceive the media into providing extensive coverage of his self-promotion. I guess they, too, should have listened to Admiral Akbar. It's a trap! And yet they fall for the trap time and time and time again. Now, as I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today because the, uh, the, the, the corporate media, the rest of the media will be uh, debating this, fighting about it, discussing it, talking about what it means, finding out did Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2008 really start the birther movement as uh, Donald Trump is uh, charging, as Donald Trump is lying as uh, reported by Daniel Dale in the Toronto Star. Good for him for doing so. But uh, so I'll, I'll let everyone else do do that. But I also want to give kudos here to Paul Waldman uh, over at Washington Post in the plum line. Uh, in his uh, article uh, at the end of it, headlined Donald Trump just summed up his entire despicable campaign in 30 seconds. At the end of that article, uh, Paul Waldman makes a very important point about all of this. And this is uh, this is what I want to use as our as our starting point today. If you're wondering why he writes, if you're wondering why Trump gets zero percent in some polls among African-American voters, this is the reason. 
the entire birther crusade, but particularly Trump's leading part in it, isn't just about Barack Obama in particular. It's an unfathomably cruel and dispiriting message to send to African Americans. It says to them, no matter how smart and hardworking you are, no matter how much you achieve, no matter how much you, how carefully you make yourself unthreatening to the white majority, no matter how deftly you manage to move through the most elite institutions in America and dazzle everyone with your talents, you will still not be accepted as a genuine citizen of this country. You could become president of the United States and they will literally, literally demand to see your papers. And even when you give in to this vile demand, they will still deny that you are American. According to an NBC survey monkey poll taken just a month ago, Waldman notes, only 27 percent of Republicans. This was taken just one month ago. Just 27 percent of Republicans think Barack Obama was born in the United States. And, Waldman adds, Donald Trump is a big part of the reason. Even now that the country's most prominent birther has supposedly changed his mind on the subject, they'll probably still refuse to believe the truth. Donald Trump spent five years pumping this poison into the American political bloodstream, and now he's trying to lie his way out of any responsibility for what he has done. What does it say about us if he succeeds? That's Paul Waldman in the uh, in the Washington Post today. What does it say about us if he succeeds? And really, 27 percent of Republicans think that uh, uh, Barack Obama was born in the U.S. Just 27 percent. That's what all of this is about, delegitimizing Barack Obama. But it's not only about delegitimizing Barack Obama. It's also about delegitimizing uh, Democrats, delegitimizing anyone who doesn't agree with the Republican faithful party line. And that is what all of these cases, and I'm looking at a whole bunch of them here. I don't know how many of them uh, I'll be able to get through today, but we, we've had over the past week or so a whole bunch of court cases concerning voting rights and the attempt by Republicans to keep Democrats Democratic-leaning voters from being able to cast their vote, and they're willing to tell any lie, to make any claim, to pretend, as they have about Barack Obama, that, well, maybe he doesn't belong here. Maybe he's not one of us. Maybe we need to keep those people who are not one of us away from the polling place, away from our politics, away from the White House. Anything we can do to gain political advantage. And uh, really, that has not been any more clear than it has been in the state of Kansas in recent years since their Secretary of State, Chris Kobach, who ran, who ran really uh, on, on one issue back in, I think it was 2010, when he was first elected. Basically, he ran on one issue. All of his uh, campaign signs had a big symbol of a stop sign on it, and it said, Stop Voter Fraud. And that was Chris Kobach's thing, stopping voter fraud. And that was after, by the way, he had already, uh, he, he was the guy, Chris Kobach was the guy who wrote the law in uh, for the state of Arizona, what they called the Papers Please Law, 
which had allowed you know police to basically pull anybody over that they wanted to and ask them to show their papers to prove they belonged to be here, to prove they were legally in this country, to prove they were a citizen or that they had the right to be here. That law was eventually overturned, I believe, by the Supreme Court, um, by the U.S. Supreme Court. But Chris Kobach continued to do that uh, any way that he could to delegitimize people who he felt were his opponents. And that's exactly that is exactly the 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 bloodstream into which Donald Trump has tapped and been so successful. And he has been successful, not just winning the uh, uh, Republican nomination, obviously, but doing very well now in the general election. If you look over at uh, 538.com uh, right now, according to all of the different uh, ways the 538 looks at it, Hillary Clinton uh, has kind of just above a 50-50 chance of winning at this point if the election were held today in in their uh, what they call their now cast. Uh, a little bit less than a, a two out of three chance of winning, uh, according to their other measures. But this is in no small part because of what uh, Trump has injected into the national body politic and what Republicans have been injecting into it for years and what guys like Chris Kobach have been injecting into it. He has been trying now for uh, Kobach for years to uh, keep anybody from being able to vote if they have not presented their papers, if they have not put forward their papers proving that they were citizens, that they are citizens of the United States. It's not enough to check a box under a penalty of perjury saying, yes, I am a citizen. Uh, under penalty of perjury when I go to register. No, we actually have to show papers now in the state of Kansas. And this has been fought and uh, for years now there. And Kobach continues to lose. He continues to lose every time he goes to court on this. But he keeps on doing it and trying to get away with it in different ways. So there's a number of cases out here uh, challenging this. Um, but late last week, uh, as Rick Hassan writes over at the Election Law blog, acting very quickly after oral argument, the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit uh, court issued an order preliminarily enjoining, stopping uh, the change to the federal voter registration form that had been ordered uh, by a, a compadre of Chris Kobach's, uh, st stopping that change uh, that would have allowed Kansas, Alabama and Georgia to require documentary proof of citizenship if registering to vote using a federal voter registration form. Now, the federal voter registration form is available everywhere, is available in all 50 states. It was uh, mandated under the National Voter Registration Act, I believe, in 1993, the Motor Voter Bill, making it easy for anyone in all 50 states to be able to fill out this simple form and become registered in their own state. No additional documents necessary. You attest to who you are. You attest to the fact that you're a citizen of this country under penalty of perjury. And you become registered. Well, Chris Kobach has said, no, you know what? We, we passed in the state of Kansas a law that required required proof documents uh, to prove that you are actually a citizen of this country before you are allowed to vote in the state of Kansas. And so therefore, if you register using the federal voter registration form, 
you can't vote in Kansas elections at the very least. You can't become registered at all because you haven't turned in your papers. And he's been going to the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission for years, trying to get them to change their form. Actually, he just tried to get them to... He just insisted that that was not good enough to register in the state of Kansas, and that was denied all the way up to the Supreme Court. He said, "Okay, fine. You can vote in the state of Kansas for federal elections, but not for state elections if you haven't turned in your citizenship papers. And this continues to be under challenge, continues to be, despite the fact that Chris Kobach has found uh, literally, and I want to say virtually, uh, no voter fraud in the state of Kansas. He certainly hasn't found the type of fraud that would be stopped by photo ID voting restrictions or by citizenship papers. And yet he continues to do this. And he finally got an ally appointed to the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission who came in and said, uh, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll change the federal form to uh, require uh, voters in Kansas and Alabama and Georgia to, to fill out that uh, to, to show their uh, citizenship citizenship papers. Well, that is what has been once again overturned by the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, in Washington, D.C. on Friday. Rick Hassan notes the upshot is that for this election, the federal form, can, at least for this one, it's still going to be fought. But for this election, the federal form cannot include a state request for proof of citizenship documents before voting. That's good news for voters, notes Hassan, because it will be easier to register and vote in these states and it won't harm voters or the state because the amount of non-citizen voting, which uh, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach has claimed is an epidemic, is actually uh, tiny, tiny, if at all. Now, Kobach may still go to the Supreme Court, Hassan notes, to reverse the uh, to reverse this decision for the election. But good luck in finding a, a fifth vote on the uh, tied uh, on the eight justice Supreme Court right now, which is deadlocked. They'll probably decide uh, four to four on this one. They'll tie at best, which means the uh, the U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals in D.C. gets the last word. And they said, no, you cannot do this. How did this come about in the first place? Well, you know, after courts had rejected this provision over and over again, it came about because uh, at the beginning of this year in 2016, former Johnson County, Kansas County Clerk Brian Newby uh, was appointed as the executive director of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. And despite the fact that the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission had previously declined to allow Kansas and Alabama and Georgia and so forth to do this on the federal form, Newby came in and said, sure, that's fine. Uh, he gave no further explanation, and he allowed those three states to require the citizenship documentation uh, on, on, the, uh, on the federal registration form. So if the documents such as birth certificate or passport are not provided, Americans would be denied the fundamental right to vote, and that is what has been challenged. Newby, and by the way, I've, I've known uh, Brian Newby for uh, some years throughout the years covering elections. He was actually a pretty good uh, election official out there in, uh, in Kansas, in Johnson County, which is uh, Kansas City. He was actually pretty good. So it's unclear how it is or why it is that he you know, took office and immediately did the bidding of uh, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach. 
But we have learned uh, since he took office that Chris Kobach uh, did uh, did meet with him, did talk about him, did give a recommendation for him to be appointed to this job. So it kind of looks like it was payback. Hey, you help me get this job. I'll help you get your 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 citizenship papers. Um, but that uh, so that litigation is is going to continue right now. It affects anywhere from 10,000 to 50,000 voters in the state of Kansas. This uh, letter to the uh, Wichita Eagle from Gerald H. Paskey kind of uh, sums it up here. This is a uh, here's the letter. Uh, Real voter fraud is the headline. There is serious voter fraud in Kansas, and it is being committed by Secretary of State Chris Kobach. His actions are fraudulent because he is deliberately misleading the public by claiming that the problem is that some illegal voters are not citizens. Therefore, all voters should be required to prove their U.S. citizenship. Mind you, not voters who have, you know, who were registered, the millions of voters who were registered before Chris Kobach came to office. They get to vote. No citizenship papers necessary. In any event, the letter goes on. Kobach has obtained four, four fraudulent voting convictions since taking office back in 2010. Four out of how many uh, millions of votes that have been cast since then? And in each case, in each of these four fraudulent voting convictions, the defendants were U.S. citizens who had homes in two different states. They lived part of each year in each home and thus paid property taxes in both states. Those citizens made a mistake in believing that they could vote in local elections in each state. So apparently these voters, these four voters, I think it was like two different married couples, as I recall. Uh, and I believe they were Republicans, by the way. Uh, in any event, they did not vote in the same election uh, twice, or at least they did not vote for the you know the same candidate twice in each election. They thought they were allowed. Oh, I've got a home in in Colorado and in Kansas. Well, I guess I can vote there and I can vote here. Um, they were wrong. That is fraud. And that is not fraud that would be stopped by showing your, your citizenship papers. That is not fraud that would be stopped by uh, showing a photo ID when you go to vote. The letter goes on to say, as Kobach must know, this problem cannot be solved by proving that one is a U.S. citizen. Why has Kobach claimed that proof of U.S. citizenship will solve this problem when he must know it will not? My guess is that he believes most of the more than 18,000 Kansas voters who can't or haven't proved their U.S. citizenship will vote Democratic. If so, Kobach is not trying to prevent fraudulent voting. He is trying to prevent legitimate voters from voting. If that is the case, he should be impeached, writes Gerald H. Paskey of Wichita to the Wichita Eagle. Now, uh, that's what... Chris Kobach is doing. That's what the case against uh, Barack Obama was always about, is trying to delegitimize certain people in our society. We talked about it yesterday on on uh, on this program when we were talking about uh, the, the case against Scott Walker, the new documents that have come out uh, concerning Scott Walker, showing all of these operatives in this very close election back in 2011, this election that would have determined the balance of the Supreme Court in the state of Wisconsin and thus whether Scott Walker's. Uh, Governor Scott Walker's uh, hard right wing anti-union agenda would be allowed through this very close election. You had all of these GOP operatives on election night saying, hey, we need to get out the message that there is widespread Democratic voter fraud, even though there was no evidence of widespread Democratic voter fraud. There was no 
evidence of voter fraud at all at that point. And they knew they were headed towards a recount. And this way, they said in their own words that, you know, no matter what the recount, no matter what the results of the recount are, if we end up losing because of that recount, we need to delegitimize the results, delegitimizing our fellow Americans, their vote, anything for power. And that's how Donald Trump became famous. And that's why we continue to fight for voting rights in this country. And that's why we continue to follow it here on the broadcast while everyone else is following the shiny objects of what Donald Trump is saying now and how he's showing off his new hotel in Washington, D.C. and getting you suckers and chumps and stooges and pawns and patsies in the corporate media to play 20 minutes to play 20 minutes of him, uh, basically an advertisement for his new hotel and endorsements from, uh, you know, a, a few military people who he could trick into endorsing him. And you suckers fell for it again. It's a trap. I'd like to tell you to stop falling for that trap by now, but you won't. You'll keep falling for it. In the meantime, we're going to try not to. We will take a break and we're going to come back with uh, with more news along these very lines for you right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. It's a trap. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Tell me something good. I'd like to. Tell me that you love me. Well, I do love you. So uh, there's that. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Maybe, maybe, just maybe by the end of this segment, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you something good. But until then, uh, I had mentioned in the, uh, in the previous segment that uh, over at 538.com, uh, Hillary Clinton's chances were just above 50% if the election were held today, just above 50% chance of, of, beating, Hil- of beating Donald Trump. In fact... Uh, 57.4% probability of winning if the election were held today, according to 538.com. If you uh, rely only on the polls, what they call their polls-only forecast, well, here's something good. She has a 60% chance of winning. Donald Trump has a 40% chance in that case. Uh, And then if you add in uh, polls and the economy and historical data and so forth, uh, in what they call their polls plus form, uh, forecast, uh, 
she has just under a 60% chance of defeating Donald Trump. But if you look at their, uh, they have this uh, this list of, of, of states and how they are leaning, leaning uh, towards Hillary or leaning towards Donald Trump and so forth. And uh, for the last couple of days, it has been, for example, in the NowCast, just one state, if one state, in this case, it would be Colorado, if just one state flips uh, against where the polls are showing it going currently, if just Colorado went to Donald Trump after all the swing state of Colorado ended up going to Donald Trump, Donald Trump wins the presidency. That's if all of the states that are currently leaning or uh, leaning towards Hillary Clinton and leaning towards Donald Trump go the way that the polls are suggesting. If all of those go that way, except for Colorado, Colorado flips to uh, to Donald Trump, then it is uh, President Donald Trump for the next four years. Yesterday, when I had looked at this uh, at the same graph, it was New Hampshire, only New Hampshire. If New Hampshire flipped from leaning Hillary to uh, to Donald Trump, then it's a Donald Trump presidency. So all of these things that we talk about, all of these issues of voting rights uh, actually matter. We talked a little little bit about Kansas. I'm going to talk about Ohio in a second, because Kansas, Kansas is almost certainly going to be going for Donald Trump. Uh, But Ohio is another matter. And right now, both Ohio and Florida are uh, now in the lean Donald Trump territory, according to 538 and according to a number of polls that we have been covering. Uh, So I'll get to Ohio in a second, but uh, some some additional news related to all of the above today. The uh, Presidential uh, Commission on Debates has determined now definitively, we all, of course, saw this coming, but they have now uh, announced officially that neither Libertarian Party candidate Gary Johnson nor Green Party candidate Jill Stein will be in the first presidential debate. Never mind whether you think they should be in that debate. And by the way, I think they should be. I think if you are on enough ballots that you can win enough electoral votes to win the White House, then you should be included in the presidential debates. That's not the criteria that the uh, uh, Commission on Presidential Debates use, which is a, a bipartisan commission of Republicans and Democrats. So they sort of, you know, they're happy to keep out these uh, third party parties like the Libertarians and, and the Greens. They have a different scheme. It's basically if you average 15 percent in certain public opinion polls, then you'll be allowed into the debates. Of course, it's a circular reasoning, because if you're allowed in the debates, then you'll you know probably get that 15 percent in any event. Whether you think they should be in, uh, whether you think Jill Stein or Gary Johnson should be in the presidential debates or not, they will not be in the presidential debates, at least not this first one, and I suspect not the second and third one either. So without them actually being in the race, we still have, in reality, if we must deal with reality, two uh, choices, two likelihood, two possibilities for the next president of the United States. Right now, that's Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And I know we've got a lot of listeners who are, uh, you know, were Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders supporters still are still are angry that he's, you know, didn't win. And no. I haven't seen uh, the evidence to suggest that it was stolen from him by Hillary or the DNC. And believe you me, I have been looking. 
And apparently neither has Bernie Sanders because he was uh, he was on Morning Joe on MSNBC this morning. Uh, speaking to those who are considering voting a third party for Stein or Johnson. And uh, and here's what uh, here's what Bernie uh, Sanders, who has endorsed Hillary Clinton. Here's what Bernie Sanders had to had to say about voting third party. I was a third party candidate. I began yes. my career <laughs> yeah. running as a third party, getting two percent of the vote. Then I got one percent of the vote. So I know a little bit about third party. I'm the longest serving independent in the history of the U.S. Congress. But I think that before you cast a protest vote, uh, because either Clinton or Trump will become president, think hard about it. Uh, this is not a governor's race. It's not a state legislative race. This is the presidency of the United States. And I would say to those people out there who are thinking of the protest vote, think about what the country looks like and whether you're comfortable of four years of a Trump presidency. And I would suggest to those people, let us elect Hillary Clinton as president. And the day after, let us mobilize millions of people around the progressive agenda, which, by the way, was passed, as you know, in the Democratic platform. So Bernie Sanders, once again, uh, saying, uh, think very carefully about a third party vote. His suggestion, get Hillary Clinton in the White House and then on day one, uh, start demanding that she uh, move forward the progressive agenda that the uh, Sanders supporters and the Clinton supporters got together and uh, hashed out in the Democratic Party platform. That's Bernie Sanders recommendation. I have the same thought. It's just one that I've said that I think is really, really, really important that many people don't really seem to understand, which is that the infrastructure that we build over the next four to eight years is going to have a major impact on how well we're able to fight climate change. Yo, yeah, there's that. So there's that there's sort of that. overarching, hey, why don't we choose the candidate that won't send us towards uh, annihilation and extinction? Uh, well, just the, a thought. the candidate uh, who hasn't said that I will do away with all with the EPA and all EPA regulations. Right. Which is the candidate is Donald Trump, who has said that, in case you were wondering. That said, I wanted at one point I wanted to hit there before I get to Ohio. Bernie Sanders mentioned uh, you know, there are some people out there who think they can uh, that, that the country will be OK for the next four years if Donald Trump is elected president. And that is, I guess, maybe true to some extent. Um, but it's not four years that we're talking about. We're talking about from day one. We already have a vacancy on the Supreme Court that needs to be filled, apparently, by the next president because the Republicans refuse to allow the current president, as per the Constitution, to nominate someone to fill that vacancy. So on day one, it's going to be, uh, you know, the appointment to the Supreme Court, which will then affect this country for the next generation. Which is why I'm always amazed. You know, people vote the way you want to vote. But I'm always amazed when I hear people, uh, you know, say, well, you know, it'll become so bad in the next four years that uh, then Democrats will finally want to do something about it. Well, A, I'm glad you can uh, survive those next four years. I'm glad you have the uh, the resources to survive those next four years. But it is not just four years. It is a generation. And if you haven't noticed uh, we are still trying to survive from what George W. Bush did to this country. And there are uh, tens of thousands, I would argue millions around the world, who did not survive what George W. Bush did to this country. Uh, what we're dealing with now when it comes to terrorism and ISIS, that was absolutely predicted even by Dick Cheney back in the 90s. 
when he was uh, Secretary of Defense under George H.W. Bush, said, well, if we get rid of Saddam Hussein, something, someone worse will rise in his place. And sure enough, that's what happened. That's what we are dealing with with ISIS. The rise of ISIS is directly tied to the choice that George W. Bush and then Vice President Dick Cheney made when they declared war on that country. Uh, and we are still uh, we are still dealing with those consequences, much as we are still dealing, by the way, with the economic consequences of the collapse that happened under George W. Bush. And yes, Bill Clinton prior to him uh, had uh, something to do with that. Uh, but it was uh, it was George W. Bush's, uh, you know, policies that allowed this to happen, that allowed the collapse to happen in the uh, in in the, uh, the the global economic collapse. And it has been the Republicans and the Supreme Court who have kept Obama from being able to fully implement uh, his plan to try to do something about it. Now, the economy has come back. In, in, sort of. We had a report earlier this week about, uh, for the first time, medium income for middle class has begun to rise over the past uh, year or two. All good news, uh, but it has been a very tough slog over the last eight years, and it is been it has been. Uh, it is because of that that uh, uh, Donald Trump has been able to ride in and say, "Hey, these Democrats, they haven't done anything for you." So now we're in an election that is going to be very, very close or that it appears as if it will be very, very close. And every vote will matter and every state will matter. And as I said, you know, Kansas is probably going to go to Donald Trump no matter what. Uh, but I give a damn about those tens of thousands of voters who are being kept from casting their vote in Kansas, no matter which way that state goes. Rights are rights. Voting rights to me, are, or at least should be, sacrosanct. But apparently they are not to Republicans who are continuing to do everything they can to keep certain voters from being able to vote, to make it harder to vote. And we have another uh, several court decisions this week out of the state of Ohio and out of the Supreme Court, by the way, that will affect that in that very, very close state of Ohio. As Alice Olstein reports this week, the Supreme Court rejected a petition from Ohio Democrats on Tuesday morning to restore a crucial week of early voting known as the Golden Week, the only time that voters can both register to vote and cast a ballot in a single visit. Now, uh, we've talked about it over the years on this show, but it, that Golden Week was instituted after the 2004 election debacle in the state of Ohio that ended up giving the White House to George W. Bush after the Supreme Court gave it to George W. Bush uh, down in the state of Florida in 2000. In 2004, that state was Ohio, where voters, uh, the last of the voters, uh, at Kenyon College at about 3 or 4 a.m. on Wednesday morning, finally cast a vote. Uh, un untold hundreds of thousands, if not millions, were unable to vote uh, in Ohio back in 2004 under the Republican Secretary of State. So when the, uh, the when he was replaced by a Democratic Secretary of State, the state instituted all of these reforms that actually helped. Uh, a lot more early voting to ease the lines on Election Day. 
Uh, and as it turned out, when they expanded early voting, it crossed over with one of the weeks that you could also register to vote. That became known as Golden Week. Well, in 2008, about 60,000 Ohioans voted during that Golden Week. And in uh, 2012, about 80,000 voted during Golden Week. And ever since, the Republicans have been trying to kill Golden Week. Because as it turned out, for example, in 2008, black voters were three and a half times more likely to use Golden Week as white voters. In 2012, African-Americans were more than five times as likely as white voters to vote during Golden Week. So no wonder Republicans have been trying to kill it. The uh, U.S. Supreme Court rejected the petition from Ohio Democrats. They gave no rationale for their decision. No written uh, uh, dissents were released. But it's thought the justices were likely uh, disagreeing behind the scenes about this. A federal district court ruled back in May that the cuts to Golden Week were, in fact, unconstitutional and ordered the state to restore Golden Week, the cuts that were put in place by the Republican legislature in the Buckeye state, signed by uh, moderate Republican John Kasich and his moderate Secretary of State, who can't wait to become the governor, a guy by the name of John Husted. They killed Golden Week. The court found it to be unconstitutional. The federal district court found it to be unconstitutional. And then a federal appeals court overturned that decision in August, siding with the Republicans. Uh, that uh, they can that they were allowed to go ahead and cut Golden Week. A dissenting judge on that court criticized the ruling, arguing that the early voting cut imposes a disproportionate burden on African Americans who disproportionately depend on that week to vote. So then the Democratic Party appealed, pleading with the federal court to stay that ruling until after the 2016 presidential election. Uh, but because uh, but th th that was rejected by the uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, it wasn't so much rejected as they didn't speak to it, which means that the federal court, uh, the uh, the lower court's decision will stand. So for the first time in years, there will be no golden week in the state of Ohio, potentially affecting tens of thousands of voters who might have otherwise registered and voted on the same day. Uh, and by the way, the governor there has refused to implement online voter registration until after the upcoming election. So uh, the Supreme Court's ruling uh, has now effectively eliminated the possibility for one stop voting this this uh, this November. Uh, at the same time, uh, another court ruling, uh, a little bit more confusing that I've been trying to make sense of, but another court ruling at the federal level. Uh, it happened in Ohio this week, which will also allow these Republican restrictions on voting to stay in place. Uh, this was just a couple of hours after the U.S. Supreme Court had made its ruling. Uh, just uh, several hours after that, a divided panel of the Cincinnati-based appellate court largely upheld restrictions that were enacted by the GOP-dominated legislature in 2014 and signed by Governor Kasich. Here's what that was. Uh, basically, uh, this uh, ad issue here was uh, the Ohio election law that required county boards of elections to reject the ballots of absentee voters and provisional voters whose identification envelopes on those absentee and provisional voters 
contained a mistake on the address or the birth date if it did not match absolutely perfectly with the voting record. So, for example, if you transposed numbers in your birth date or if you uh, you put your street address, <clears throat> but not your but but not the number. You put the street name, but not the number, then uh, Ohio could throw away your provisional ballot or throw away your absentee ballot. And making matters worse, all the counties were dealing with it in a different manner. Some were counting those votes. Others were not. Uh, when it comes to that, uh, well, OK, then uh, the, the other thing was that Ohio had reduced the number of post-election days for absentee voters to cure any kind of problems like that. It used to be they would let you know, hey, we have a question about your absentee ballot. Can you come in? You've got 10 days to do it. Well, the Republicans thought that was way too many days to come in and, and cure a problem with your vote. So that was uh, limited from 10 days down to seven days. And uh, the law also limited the ways in which poll workers could assist in-person voters. Well, for now, in any event, the uh, the appellate court has allowed or at least has, has thrown out that restriction on the exact matching of your uh, of your address on an absentee, your address or your uh, uh, birth date on the absentee or provisional ballots. They did not speak to, unfortunately, uh, if there's a mismatch in the in the name or the Social Security. So, for example, if I'm registered as Brad Friedman to vote. But I sign the ballot as Bradley Friedman or vice versa, or I add a, a, a middle initial when I'm not registered with the middle initial and so forth. Uh, county reg county clerks could, if they wanted, uh, decide to throw out those votes. So uh, the, the, the court made it a little bit harder to throw it out when there's problems like that. They did, however, allow uh, the restrictions to stand on the days following the elections, uh, seven days instead of 10 days, uh, when these things can be cured. Well, there was a dissent on this, um, on this decision uh, in, the, in the federal courts, and it was rather extraordinary. The judge here, who was appointed by... Uh, Jimmy Carter, he was an African-American judge. And by the way, the two judges that upheld the Republicans in this case uh, were both Republican uh, presidential appointees. They were both white. In this case, uh, the uh, Sixth Circuit judge Damon Keith offered an impassioned dissent. He included 11 pages of images of people who were killed in the struggle against racial segregation and for civil rights for African-Americans in, in his dissent. He said, rather than honor the men and women whose murdered lives opened the doors of our democracy and secured our right to vote, the majority has abandoned this court's standard of review in order to conceal the votes of the most defenseless behind the dangerous veneers of factual findings lacking support and legal standards lacking precedent. I am deeply saddened and distraught by the court's deliberate decision to reverse the progress of history. He wrote that states are audaciously nullifying a right for which our ancestors relentlessly fought and in some instances even tragically died. So this is no small matter. Uh, people died for this right, as Keith goes on to point out, uh, even though the majority said, oh, it's a slight issue. It's not going to affect that many voters. It's slight. It's minor. It's unimportant. It's trifling. It's trivial. It's insignificant. It's inconsequential, negligible, infinitesimal. 
Uh, well, at least we've got one uh, one judge on this court who uh, who sees it otherwise. I join that uh, <laughs> I join that judge in seeing it otherwise. Every single vote matters. Okay, I know we got to get out to a break, but I had uh, I had promised some good news before oh, we got out. So Stephen Colbert. Uh, on uh, the uh, on the late show on CBS, tried to put all of this into perspective, put all of the, the this very, very close race now, tried to put it all in perspective uh, with what he called his uh, what was it? His his friendly reminder. I don't mean to sound dramatic, but we're all going to die. <laughs> I think it's the election that's going to kill us. See, tensions have never uh, been higher. Because with less than eight days until early voting starts, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are tied in the polls. Which means no matter who you support, you're pretty upset. (laughs) I mean, that candidate might win, the untrustworthy one with a questionable foundation, the one with the famous daughter and the marriage you don't understand. What about that health stuff? That person certainly doesn't look healthy. Plus, they don't understand the rest of the country. They're from New York. Look, that person is from New York, whoever you support, that other one. Look, democracy's had a great run. And so, oh, excuse me, okay, yeah, that gentle tap on my shoulder means it's time for a late show polite reminder. (laughs) Tonight's polite reminder, there's no need to reach for the pistol or the plastic bag and the duct tape. Just step out of the bath and put that toaster down. You see, Here's the polite reminder. A tie between the candidates around this time in the campaign has happened in every election of this century. Romney and Obama were tied around now. Obama and John McCain were tied on September 17th. Two days from now, George W. Bush and Al Gore are still tied. (laughs) One of them won the vote. The other one won the presidency. It's even. Uh So, of course, of course, Hillary and Trump are tied right now. It's inevitable. In fact, a late-breaking tie is almost as inevitable as you thought Hillary was. And this has been The Late Show, Polite Reminder. There's your polite reminder from Stephen Colbert. Feel any better? I don't know if I do, but we got to take a break. And we'll be back with the Green News Report, which always makes us feel better right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the broadcast. Melting for Desi Doyen in the Green News. I got to say, I, I, Desi, I, I lied before the break. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, I said that you always, uh, the Green News report always makes us feel better. 
Well, yeah, Not we're so try. We'll see. I, you know, even when I'm lying in jest, I feel terrible about it. I just <laughs> I cannot lie. Uh, so uh, there was more that I wanted to cover. Uh, some more uh, court decisions concerning voting, voting rights, more actions, some more lawsuits uh, filed, won, lost. But they will have to wait until our next thrilling episode because I, I just we don't have time for it. But we are going to continue to fight for it uh, in future episodes. Until then, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. This pipeline must be stopped. New analysis finds Dakota Access Pipeline fails Obama's climate test. It is completely unprecedented from a constitutional perspective. It's completely unprecedented and, you know, from, from a legal perspective. House Science Committee Chair investigating states who are investigating Exxon. Plus, Louisiana floods now the third costliest disaster in U.S. history. All of those disasters and more... Straight ahead from Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The tribe worries the pipeline could leak, destroying their water supply. Oh, so the stereotype is true. Native Americans need water to survive. (laughs) (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, uh, two things. A, it looks like Bernie Sanders is back a little bit. And uh, B, the controversial Dakota Access Pipeline doesn't even meet standards set out by Barack Obama himself. <laughs> yes, that's true. The controversial Dakota Access Pipeline is now the focus of epic protests by nearly 300 Native American tribes in North Dakota. And yes, it would fail the climate test that President Obama used to reject the Keystone XL Pipeline if it's completed. That's according to a new analysis by climate accounting group Oil Change International. At a rally against the pipeline in Washington, D.C. this week, Senator Bernie Sanders said it should be canceled. The Dakota Access Pipeline would have the same impact on our planet as adding 21 million more cars to our roads. It would have the same impact as adding 30 new coal plants. This is crazy stuff. This pipeline must be stopped. Pipeline construction has been halted temporarily in some locations by the Obama administration. In Wisconsin, at the intersection of politics, campaign finance, and justice, a new expose by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has uncovered internal emails showing that manufacturers of lead paint, which has been linked to brain damage in children, donated huge sums to Wisconsin's Club for Growth that, in turn, donated to the campaigns of state Republicans and Wisconsin's Governor Scott Walker. Shortly after, Wisconsin's Republican state legislature passed laws shielding those lead paint manufacturers from liability blocking the lawsuits of 170 children poisoned by lead paint. Wisconsin State Supreme Court justices, who also received campaign contributions from the lead paint industry, ruled to shut down investigations into those contributions. All totally coincidental. Any other suggestion is scurrilous. Meanwhile, extreme weather is extremely expensive. In Louisiana, Governor John Bell Edwards has requested nearly $3 billion in emergency rebuilding funds from Congress to rebuild after the biblical deluge and 
floods in Baton Rouge that killed 13 people last month. Of the 150,000 damaged homes, 80 percent did not have flood insurance because they are located outside the 100-year flood zone to receive coverage. In other words, we're now seeing areas become flooded that never used to flood before. That's right. Total economic losses from the historic floods is estimated to be in the neighborhood of $15 billion. That ranks the floods as the third costliest disaster in U.S. history, right after Hurricane Katrina at number one and 9-11. And global warming has increased the odds that it will happen again. NOAA calculates that climate change played a direct role in pushing the Louisiana floods into record territory and nearly double the chances of such a flood occurring on the Gulf Coast again. You're nothing but good news today. Meanwhile, Republican Representative Lamar Smith of Texas, a climate science denier, is again using his position as the chairman of the House Science Committee to protect the oil industry, this week holding a hearing on the subpoenas that he issued to state attorneys general who are investigating whether ExxonMobil lied to the public and investors. That was after revelations that the oil giant's own scientists warned the executives about the impacts of climate change back in the 1970s. Representative Smith's blatant interference with these state legal investigations amounts to intimidation, according to Carol Muffett of the Center for International Environmental Law in a recent broadcast interview. Ironically, they're using First Amendment arguments to try to stop the truth from coming to light, to try and intimidate and coerce those who would who would bring more information out in the name of fulfilling their science mandate, in the in the name of moving science forward, they are actually working to suppress science. So the U.S. House Science Committee is now actively trying to undermine science by intimidating states' attorneys general. This is getting insane. Finally, some good news. The Obama administration has announced a landmark new policy to balance protection of public lands with renewable energy development. The president's new climate action plan directs the Interior Department to permit 20,000 megawatts of renewable power on public lands by 2020. I'll take it. For much more on those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. So see, there was some good news in there, Desi Doyan. Yeah, I mean, this new plan will balance... Protecting uh, conservation and protecting the twenty thousand watts. The twenty thousand watts. I mean, it's it's a it's a balance of many stakeholders: recreation, conservation, uh, business use, and and all kinds of uh, different stakeholders were involved in in creating this plan. Should so. say twenty thousand megawatts, and oh, yes. uh, that would be on public lands. Uh, that will now go for, for wind and solar. And a- geothermal. After decades of using those public lands for oil and coal and fracking. Exactly. So there's some good news. See, everything is not a disaster on the broadcast. <laughs> you should know better. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Missed any portion of today's show or any other? Download it at bradblog.com for free. Give us a nice comment. Say hello while you're there. We'd love to see you. Uh, you can also download it from iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good, uh, good review as well to make it easier for others to find the, uh, find the Bradcast. Drop me email anytime you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. Also, my thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. 
to help us continue to do what we try to do each and every weekday on the Bradcast. Thank you for joining us for it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.